Have you ever wondered if the Christian life was worth living? I mean, there are, there are times that some people have thought about walking away from the faith. Have you been one of those? Where you've thought about, maybe this isn't worth it. Maybe it's not true. Is it really real? Sometimes the grass looks greener on the other side of the fence. We see people on Facebook all the time and they look like they're having a great life or on Instagram or on TikTok, they're dancing around and they seem happy. And we don't realize, well, the marriage may be falling apart or this may be uh, 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 an aberration rather than the norm. And yet we see it as the norm because most people post happy things on Facebook and uh, uh, uh meals that they're eating and those kinds of things and vacations that they're having. And we think, wow, I wish we were doing that. And so we find ourselves struggling with this idea of Christianity, meaning self-denial, denying ourselves daily and taking up our cross and following him. And we wonder, is it all worth it? Is it something that we want to continue to be a part of? And so we struggle. We see those who have no faith uh, on, on surveys, they're classified as nuns, N-O-N-E-S, that they have no religious affiliation. When they, what a religious affiliation do you have? None is what they would say. And yet their life seems to be great. They seem to be doing really well. We find ourselves like the person in the psalm that we're going to look at here today in Psalm 73. In Psalm 73, we have a guy who was a singer and songwriter, singer-songwriter type guy who was someone who was the national worship leader for the nation of Israel. His name was Asaph. And Asaph was this Levite who David chose as his worship leader for the whole nation. And Asaph does something interesting. He has this very real, honest moment where he says, you know what? I'm really struggling here. I'm really wondering if it's all worth it. I'm wondering whether this faith thing is the way that we should be living our lives. And so he found himself struggling. And the interesting thing is, is I'm sure he felt guilty. I'm sure he felt disloyal. I'm sure there were some struggles there on the other side as well. And you wonder if there's an answer. You hope that there's an answer. You pray that there's an answer that would keep you walking with the Lord. And yet we see in our, in our world so many people who are, are walking away from the faith. A number of different singer-songwriter types, Marty Sampson with Hillsong and Michael Gunger of the Gunger duo, uh, whose uncle was Mark Gunger, um, John Steingard of the uh, band Hawk Nelson, and then writers uh, Josh Harris, or Abraham Piper, the son of John Piper, or, or Paul Maxwell, who was a professor at Moody Bible Institute. And we see these people walking away from the faith and, and we wonder, why are they doing that? What are they seeing that we're not seeing? Or maybe they're seeing the very things that we are seeing. I had a very dear friend who was talking to me about their, their struggle with the faith. They were talking about that they were watching all these people and it didn't seem fair that their life seemed to be great and, and his life didn't. And so they, 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 we talked, had this conversation and they were telling me about that. And, and so I, sent, I later sent them this email. And the email just simply said, I don't know if this is expressing what you feel, but here's, the, here's Psalm 73 and I just want to encourage you to read it. And he read it and his, his 
he sent me back an e email and said exactly what I'm feeling. He says, but I'm not where the psalm writer is at the end of the psalm just yet. And so I think that this psalm expresses very honest feelings that we all struggle with or, or maybe from time to time in a darker moment you might struggle with and maybe you've never struggled with it. Praise God for that. But maybe there's someone that you know who has and you understanding this psalm can either find an answer for yourself or find an answer for someone that you know that is struggling with these important issues. This psalm is an autobiographical psalm. It's a psalm of lament. It's a wisdom psalm as well. And it starts out, as we've heard uh, Matt read it, truly God is good to Israel. He starts off there with God's goodness to those who are pure in heart. He says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. And he gives us the reason. Why, why had his steps slipped? Why was he struggling in his faith? For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He said, I, I see their life. And he doesn't really say it yet, but and I see my life and it's not the same. And it seems like their life is a lot better and a lot easier and a lot, uh, every, uh, in every way, it seems like it's, it's a greater life. And so he struggles. He's, he's nearly slipped. He was envious. He found this envy in his heart. And I was thinking about how uh, even with Jesus and the disciples, all these disciples started leaving Jesus after he began to say some hard things. And Jesus even talked to the disciples, are you going to leave me too? In John chapter 6. And he says, where else will we go? You have the words of life. And so they weren't willing to leave Jesus. And, they, and, the, and their answer was, it's because of you. It's because you are the one. It's because you have the answers of life. And even though these are hard things, we know who you are. And so that was their answer. But let's see what the answer that Asaph gives us in terms of how, how did he get through this? Well, the first thing he does is he talks about the life of those that he's envying. He says, for they have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. It says their eyes swell out through fatness. Now, the NIV, if you have that, it will have a little different translation of that uh, phrase. It will say from, the, from their callous hearts comes iniquity. And so there's this idea there and, and a couple of different readings uh, from a couple of different manuscripts. That's why we have this uh, discrepancy. And, and the idea there is, is that there's this, this callousness that's fallen up on their hearts. This, uh, uh, and and that, that idea of the heart is, is really a key theme and a key thread that runs through this book or through this chapter, this song. And, and this idea is that he's saying, God is good to those who are pure in heart in verse 1. But then here in this place, he's, he's saying they have callous hearts. And then he says their hearts overflow with follies. And so they have a foolish heart. They're doing foolish things. Then he said in verse 13, he says, all in vain, I have kept my heart clean. And so there's this idea of a clean heart. And then he says, I was pricked in heart in verse 21. 
And then in 26, my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And so there's this idea of the heart and these issues are matters of the heart. This whole Psalm is about matters of the heart and we need to guard our hearts for out of it is life itself. Proverbs talks to us about that. We need to guard these issues of heart. So how do we do that? Well, one, we got to be honest about it. We got to be honest. And that's exactly what the psalmist is. He, he just lays it out there and says, you know, I'm really struggling here. And he says, I'm struggling because I'm watching them. They don't seem to have a pain until, until they die. They don't seem to be in trouble. They don't seem stricken. They're prideful and doesn't seem to get them in trouble. Uh, they have callous hearts. They're foolish. They scoff. They're ma they have malice, so they speak harshly to people uh, with intent. It says they, they threaten oppression. They intimidate us. They, they set their mouths to get to heavens. And so it's not only are they not religious, but they're anti-religious. They speak against God. And their tongue, it says, struts through the earth. And therefore, his people turn back to them and, they, and find no fault in them. That little sentence is a little bit hard to decipher at first. When you read it, you have to kind of read it two or three times. And it, it basically uh, carries the idea that uh, people are drawn to them. And we see that in our culture and in, and in society. That when somebody has wealth, when they have prosperity, People want to find out. They want to hang around them. They want to find out how they got there. Uh, they want to enjoy some of the fruits of those, the, the finances that they have. And, and, and they, they drink the Kool-Aid. They go to the seminars. They try to figure it out. And so they have a hearing. And so they, they sound pretty good. Everybody's going to listen to them and not going to listen to the person who, who has the harder message. And so Asaph says, and they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? I mean, they're even questioning whether God even really cares about them, about what they're doing, or cares about pride, or cares to even judge them. And so they, they, they flaunt and they scoff at God. They speak against the heavens, and this is part of the way that they do it. Is there knowledge in the Most High. Does God even know? Does He even care? Is He only concerned about the religious side of life and not concerned about the other aspects of life? And Asaph's wondering that same thing. He's questioning that. And in fact, it goes on and says, Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. They seem to live above the frustrations of life. I was talking to somebody uh, one day who was a professional baseball player and had to make good money. And, and, I, and I talked to him about, uh, you know, I said, wow, you, uh, baseball sal salaries, even after you retired, have really taken off. And, and he said something to me that I've, I've always remembered. And that is, he said, he said Greg, he said, um, the interesting thing is, is, uh, is it doesn't matter how much money you have, it's not going to make you happy. And, and to hear it from somebody who had a lot and had been given a lot and had earned a lot. It makes life easier, he said, but it doesn't make life better. And you see this always at ease, this kind of that idea of ease, and then they increase in riches. And so the, the Asaph begins to feel sorry for himself. And he says, all in vain, I have kept my heart clean. In other words, he's really questioning now all that he's done up to this point. 
and washed my hands in innocence. And so he feels like maybe what was the deal? Why, what was the use of keeping clean? And then he goes on to the next point. There's four of them here. The second thing he says is, for all day long, I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. So all day, every day. He's feeling this mental turmoil, this mental struggle. And, and, and then he goes on, he says, if I had said I will speak thus, I would be, be betrayed the generation of your children. And so he, he begins to be concerned about how his testimony is going to impact the next generations. And so that's the first hint that in the psalm that, that something is there that's causing him pause, causing him not to take this step. But then he says, his fourth point is in verse 16, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to be a worrisome task. In other words, I'm not sure I can understand God. I'm not sure I can understand why God will allow the unrighteous to do well and the righteous to suffer. It seems like it would, that, that the righteous would always do well and that the unrighteous would always suffer and that there would be this, but that's not the way the world is. God doesn't just bless the righteous and not bless the unrighteous. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. And so we go back to this passage and we say, yeah, what is the answer here? How do we figure it out? And in verse 17, we see the, the psalm turn. It goes from this disorienting concept and perspective on life to a reorienting perspective. And there was one thing that caused it to happen, and that was he went into the, the temple. It says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. And so all of a sudden, you, you realize that he's talking about those who are living in the here and now, and then those who are living with the end in mind. If you live in the here and now, everything that that, that, that lifestyle represents seems to be great. It seems to be going well. It seems to be very self-fulfilling. And yet, ultimately, it is not. When it comes down to long-term it is not. And so we see he goes on and, and says, here's what's really going on here. Here's what's really going on when it seems like everything's going well for them. He says, truly, verse 18, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by tears. I mean, God can take it all away from us in a moment. We've seen that with tsunamis. We've seen that with, with uh, hurricanes that just blow somebody's whole house and possessions and everything just off the face uh, of, of where it was and who knows where it ends up. It ends up scattered all over the next several counties. He says, like a dream when one awakes. Whenever you have those dreams where you, it feels so real and you, you wake up and you're kind of breathing hard and, and, and reality sets in, oh, it was only a dream. That's what's going to happen to those. One day they're going to wake up and realize it was only a dream. It wasn't the reality. The reality is God himself. He says, oh, Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms here today, gone tomorrow, something that doesn't last. 
He says, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart. So here, here, the, Asaph, he's, he's finding himself growing bitter. He's finding himself struggle with this, this bitterness of heart. And, and the reality is, is we feel that bitterness when we feel things aren't, aren't fair. We feel that bitterness whenever we feel hurt by what God has done or allowed to happen in our lives. And so we find ourselves really ultimately angry at God. And what happens at that point is it's hard to reason with us. We're letting our emotions rule at that point. Our emotions are dictating to us our decisions because he goes on and says, I was like a beast towards you. Here, this unreasoning beast, like this, this beast that just operates on instinct, on, on emotion rather than on what is true and what is right. And so the psalmist, after he comes into the sanctuary of God, begins to get clarity and get, begins to get reorientation. And he says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. It's the idea of the presence of God. That's a, that's a game changer for, for us. When we allow our emotions to rule and when we are seeing all these things going on in life, where our tendency is, is to think that, that God isn't there. And yet God is with us continually. He never leaves us. Even in those moments when we're brute beasts, even in those moments where we're allowing our emotions to rule and, and to dictate to us how, we're gonna, how, how it's going to go. And we so many times in our life allow our emotions to, be, uh, uh, to override our, our, our good sense. And we live by our emotions and we get angry and say, I'm not doing this anymore. We throw something down or we, we walk away or we curse somebody and we, and we allow the emotions to dictate our maturity level and, and everything else our decision-making. I'm not coming back to this store anymore or whatever. And instead of letting truth prevail, letting God's word prevail, letting him prevail, he is always with us, even in those moments when we're struggling. He says, you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. What is God's counsel? It's the word of God. And so we need to, at those times that we're struggling, how is he getting through this? First, he's He's in the sanctuary of God, so he goes to be around other believers so that he can, he can see them and so that they can remind him of the truth of God. They can remind him of who God is. But he, he reads God's word. You guide me with your counsel. This is God's counsel. This is God speaking to us. And many times we turn a deaf ear to God when we're not reading his word. And so one of the most important things that we can do is read his word, memorize his word, because sometimes at those times that we've memorized his word, those verses will come back to memory when we need them most. And we don't feel the patience to thumb through and find them or to Google them. And, and, and God allows it to come to, to our hearts and minds. It's something that I think is lost in the Christian life is this idea of scripture memory that we memorize God's word, we commit it to our minds, and then we can meditate on it during the day. We can meditate on it as we're driving or as we're talking to our family. Hey, what do you think about this verse? And then you quote it, and then you talk together about it. It's some very precious times. He says, and after your word, you will receive me to glory. So now he's not only looking at the here and now, he's beginning to look beyond. He's looking beyond the here and now to, to glory, that time when it will be with the Lord. And it's at that moment when he, he moves into that place that he says some of the most precious words in Scripture. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? And the answer, rhetorical question, no one. And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. 
And I think, wow, that's a statement of faith. Because even in, as he's saying these things, there's things that he's desiring more than God. And yet he makes this statement of faith when he really comes down to it, when he really slows himself down and says, you know what, there's nothing I desire on earth besides you. And when you realize who God is, when you've lived with God and watched his hand work, see him answer prayers in your life, when you have taken the time to slow down and look for God and look for God's work and his handiwork, doing things that only he can do, and you begin to experience those on, at different times. And, and really, the times that I've experienced that is whenever I've gotten most involved in ministry. When I've gone on mission trips, all of a sudden I see the hand of God in a way that I haven't seen before, and it's precious. It becomes very precious to you, and you begin to realize, hey, I want to live my life that way all the time. I want to trust the Lord when I get back from the mission trip, and I want to trust Him for this and for those things. And, and, and you find yourself, even as you get on, go on a mission trip, you find yourself trusting God for the finances to come in, and, and, and it's just you begin to see God's hand at work, and you begin to realize the preciousness of God in, in your life. My flesh and my heart may fail. He's just very honest. Uh, my heart might fail. I mean, all these things were, were uh, the pure in heart, and I worked to keep my heart clean, but it may fail. It may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is my strength. He's the strength of my heart. And, and I, as I've looked at that and I was wrestling with this whole idea, uh, I was thinking, how did, how, did, how did Asaph make it through this? Well, we talked about the fact that he went into the sanctuary of God. That was a turning point. He also was thinking about this present generation that's growing up. And he realized, hey, I'm going to be betraying them if I, if I move away from God. It's going to impact their lives, how I decide this, this thing. But it's also going to be, I need, I need to go back to who God is. He is my strength. When I was reading through the... Uh, Bible recap and, and, uh, and looking at David, the life of David, one of the things that he says after his world falls apart around him, he's in the city of Ziklag. I mean, he's got 600 of his men and all their families, and, and they've got this whole city that was given to them by the king of Gath. And now they went with the king of Gath uh, to uh, as the Philistines were getting ready to attack Israel. And all the Philistine kings didn't trust David, so they sent him back and and uh, uh, when he got back to Ziklag, his whole town had been raided, families gone, city burning, and all his men wanted to kill him. At a low, low point in his life, it makes this statement, an interesting statement. It said he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He strengthened, and I think, how did, I wish David would have expanded a little bit, or the writer would have expanded. What did he do? How did he strengthen himself in the Lord his God? Well, we, we don't know from that passage, but we get a little bit more from this passage. How was his heart strengthened? God is the strength of my heart. How did he strengthen his heart? Well, one is he focused on who God is. And you see him say, God is the strength of my heart. He's my portion forever. Uh, we see that, that God is the one who is continually with him, who guides him, who will receive him to glory. We see that, that God is the one who is good to Israel that's good to his people, the good to believers. God is good. And he begins to remember who God is. And then being around the people of God, 
they remind him who God is. One of the observations that I thought was fascinating from this psalm, as I was thinking, is, is this just individual or is this community intended you know, within the body of believers? And then I realized this is a confession. He's confessing. He could, we could be around other believers and they would have no idea what we're struggling with. And there's times where we need to confess, maybe not to everybody, but to some. In Asaph's case, he made a song out of it. it, The whole nation knew it. Here's my struggle. And he he confessed to the nation, here's my struggle, and he allowed them to speak into his life. I think that's why when he went into the sanctuary of God, he found encouragement. There's times where we find it hard to remind ourselves of who God is, and we need those around us who will help remind us who God is. I know that probably as well being in the temple, seeing the, smelling the frankincense, smelling the loaves of bread, seeing the lights from the, the, can, uh, the, the um, menorah and, and, and the, light of, uh, the light that it represented, the light of the Holy Spirit, that Christ is the light of the world. I mean, so many different things that, that would, have, would have been reflected just by the presence of being around the place where he worshiped the, God, the Lord. And so I think we need the same thing. We need to find and come and be around the people of God. We need those times. Whether it's a whole body of believers or whether it's a few, whether it's a small group that you're in, we need believers to help remind us. And so many times we need reminding more often than we need new teaching. We need reminding of what's true about God and what's true about our lives because now we're evaluating with different things in mind and we're struggling. And so when I look at this, I love the honesty. I love the confession. He's intending for believers to begin to remind him, oh, remember who God is. It's when we get ourselves in isolation that we get ourselves into trouble. And so here's the psalmist. He's remembering Whom am I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He finishes the psalm by saying, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. And so it And not only do we come to the Lord, he remembers that God is his his refuge at these times, but he begins to speak about who God is. I think as we tell others about who our God is, it stirs our own heart and helps us to remember. So it's not only other people reminding us, it's us speaking to them and voicing what we believe about God and realizing he's amazing. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for giving us this psalm, for the honesty of a guy like Asaph, a singer-songwriter, worship leader in Israel. I mean, he knew who you were. He's, he, he knows, he, kn- he knew who you are. And yet he struggled, Father, and it's just refreshing to hear not only of his struggle, but of his victory over that struggle. I know, Lord, that we need to take every thought captive, the obedience of Christ, as Paul says. I pray that you would help us to do that. Father, I pray that you would be with those right now who are struggling with 
with the feelings of walking away. Maybe they're hurt. Maybe they're angry. Father, you know what's going on in their heart. Maybe they have questions that haven't been satisfactorily answered. Lord, I pray that you would be their answer, that you would guide them into all the truth. Your spirit, you promise that, that that's what the spirit of God will do. And Lord, I pray that they would come to you, that they would come uh, after they've wrestled with these issues, that they would come to you and be close to you and draw near to you. For you are an amazing God. You love us with an amazing love. It's amazing that you even include these words here in Scripture. It shows that you were near to Asaph even when he was struggling, even when he was thinking about walking away. You were near him continually, drawing him to yourself. Lord, I pray that we would respond to your gentle nudging, to your guiding of our hearts, and that we would come back to you fully. Father, I pray that you would help us not to, to see our Christian lives in a way that's very functional. Father, that's very, um, uh, I do this and you do that in response. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that you are God who loves us no matter what. That you show us your mercy and grace. Lord, I thank you that Jesus died on a cross for us because we need and needed him dying in our place. Father, we're not able to keep our hearts pure, but the Lord Jesus can. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help those who are struggling today. Father, I pray that you would encourage us who are walking strongly with you. Father, I pray that you would help us to speak your truth to those around us who need to hear of your goodness. And Lord, I pray that you would guide us and lead us into you, into your truth, but more importantly, to your heart, that our heart would identify with your heart. Lord, I thank you for your love for us and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.